0: Here's good luck to the pine pot, good luck to the barley mole. Jolly, good luck to the pine pot, good luck to the barley mow. Oh, the pine pot, half a pint, chill, half a joe, quarter jill, and the rumble. Here's good luck, good luck, good luck to the barley mow. Oh, here's good luck to the half gallon, good luck to the barley mow. Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this podcast, I examine the works of great American writers using the Library of America as my source material. Currently, we're... Coming to the end of a, of a series on James Fenimore Cooper's The Prairie, which is part of a larger series I'm doing on Cooper's Leatherstocking Tales. So if you're just joining us, I urge you to go back to listen to the earlier episodes on The Prairie, or better yet, this entire series on The Leatherstocking Tales to get the full context. I've been following this series chronolo- chronologically th- uh, from the perspective of the main character of The Leatherstocking Tales, Natty Bumpo. The Pioneers, however, is the first of these novels that was written. In the backdrop of our story, The Pioneers, is the heroes of the series, Daddy Bumpo, but he's now known as Leatherstockings. He spent much of this novel sort of as a background character, and he does this in the other Leatherstocking Tales too, but more so than the others, he's, he's sort of a background character in the early parts of. Of the pioneers, but in the second half, he really kind of comes to the forefront a lot more and becomes one of the major characters. However, the real major character of this novel is is um, Mar- Marmaduke Temple, who is really a place, a filler for William Cooper's own father, the land speculator, who really helped found the town of Cooperstown, and it's named after him. And this is kind of paralleled in the novel with in Templetown founded essentially by this man marmaduke temple who inherited all this land in the aftermath of the american revolution you get us natty bumpo natty bumpo who is the moral center of our story he's a 70 year old woodsman living off the land while the frontier marches on past him and how he comes to terms with that and how he responds to the advance of law in the advance of the frontier is the real center of of what this novel is about He's often accompanied by Indian John, who is none other than Chingachgook, who's been now nominally Christianized, so he goes by the name of Indian John or John Mohegan, uh, being associated with his tribe. He's actually a Delaware, but um, by blood, he's Mohegan. Unlike the other stories in this series, this one doesn't really involve conflicts with the French and the Indians. So if you go back and listen to my series on Last of the Mohicans and the Deerslayer and the Pathfinder, those are really much more about, those are much more war stories and adventure stories set in the context of war. This one is set in a very different environment. It's set in peacetime. There's really not much, there's really no Indians in in the area to struggle against instead our struggle of our main character is with the law and with progress and with the advancing pioneer society and this is really where the drama and the action of our story is and it really becomes a turning point in the life of our hero so the first part of the novel if just to review is set around christmas day in 1793 cooper spends much of this time working on the details of a dynamic and radically changing frontier society so we meet Marmaduke Temple and his daughter who are coming to Templetown from, from the city, and along the way they meet Leatherstocking and a young man who accompanies him named Oliver Edwards. They get into a dispute over who shot a deer, and the wounding of Edwards in the, the as they shot the deer, accidentally wounded, proves that Leatherstocking or his young companion was the one who actually killed the deer. They take Edwards to Templetown for medical care, and along the way we're introduced to the other characters of the town. It's a diverse cast of characters. Rumors are spread around Leatherstocking, Indian John and this young man about who they are, what their relationship is, how they make a living. There's rumors that they're counterfeiter, counterfeiters. And anyways, after Edwards is t- treated, he leaves angrily to the surprise of the well-meaning temple. After this, the men of the town eat dinner and prepare to go to church for its Christmas Eve. And after the church service, the men of the town go their separate ways. Some of them are going to a tavern for gossip and drinking. The next morning, various people of Templetown participate in a turkey shoot contest, which is won by Natty. Oliver Edwards gets a position in Temple's household, a position he, he takes but resents, and he'll resent it for much of the course of the novel. Over the next few months in story time, we learn more about Templetown, including its vibrant maple sugar industry. This is followed by two examples of pioneer waste, as we see the, the, the pioneer settlers shoot pigeons and overfish the lake. This is contrasted with Natty's much more conservative use of natural resources. Temple gets news of a shipwreck that seemed to have a big effect on his business. Now, during a walk one day, Elizabeth and the preacher's daughter, Louisa are attacked by a panther, which is killed by Natty. Previously, Natty and Chingachgook actually hunted a deer out of season. So we have two acts. One is a criminal act, the poaching of a, of a deer out of season, and the other is actually something the town promotes, the killing of panthers, because there's a bounty on these animals, and their skins. Temple learns of a cave that seems to hold silver, and is told that Natty is probably mining ore, and is possibly involved in counterfeiting. A justice of the peace arrives to arrest Natty for the poaching. Uh, this is done with Temple's blessing, although Temple has some regrets because Natty's a bit of a friend, and he kind of respects him, but still he has to follow the law, and so he is sent to... He sends these men to arrest him. Natty turns his gun on the men, striking one and turning the gun on the other uh, of the men coming to serve the warrant. For this, Temple is forced to take Natty to court. And that's where our, our story left off in the previous episode. And so now we come to the conclusion of, of The Pioneers. But first, I want to go back to this book I've been looking at from time to time while reading this, this novel. And that is Alan Taylor's wonderful Pulitzer Prize winning book. William Cooper's Town, Power and Persuasion on the Frontier of Early American Life. You could you should really read these two books together, I think, The Pioneers and William Cooper's Town. They really parallel each other nicely. But what I want to focus on here is what Taylor says about the character of, of Natty Bumpo, the really the moral center of our of our story. And as I've been highlighting, the theme of this novel really is law, in the advance of law. And here, here's what Taylor says about. This quote, the novelist argued that anarchy could be checked if the community could make a peaceful transition from the personal authority of their patriarch to the civil laws uniformly enforced by respected institutions, courts and jails and their officers. In the pioneers, Marmaduke Temple is strategically placed to effect that transition because he is both Ostigo's founder and its presiding judge. He strives to preserve his authority by shifting its basis from the personal to the legal. To succeed, Temple must prove himself a true gentleman, willing and able to put legal principle above personal advantage. Superficially, the pioneer seems to question the rule of civil law by sympathizing with the plight and arguments of Natty Bumpo. Capable of governing himself in the wilderness, free from legal and political institutions, Natty suffers when surrounded and overpowered by the invasive, crowded, complicated, and commercialized society brought into Ostigo by Temple and his settlers. Caught in the tramples of the law introduced and in, enforced by the judge, Natty eloquently denounces the inflexibility of the new system. The, Natty per, the novelist per, permits Natty a full and sympathetic hearing, but ultimately insists that his asocial way of life is doomed and properly so. The novel's glowing openness, opening description of the New York rural landscape in the society of the 1820s convinced Cooper's confidence that the triumph of commercial and legal civilization produces the greatest good for the greatest number. Cooper was devoted to the conservative legal philosophy of his friend James Kent, who insisted that English common and equity law were were the consummation and installation of the universal and timeless justice. Um, So this is a really interesting point of view on that, because every reader is going to sympathize with Natty against the man, right? But Alan Taylor thinks if you go deeper under the surface... Cooper's really making an argument that as sympathetic as Natty is, he really can't be part of this society. And so one of the most important events in this novel is the departure of Natty Bumpo from this world. And where can he go in 18, 1790s America, except the frontier? And so when we meet Natty again in in the final novel, The Leatherstocking Socking Tales to Prairie, he's in the, you know, in the trans-Mississippi West, you know, back to encountering Indians you know, bat, living off the land, not really facing law. And this is where he's comfortable, but this is not where America's headed. And I think that's that's the problem with sympathizing too much with Natty Bumpo, that really this there are advantages to having a society in the West. And if you've read all the Leatherstocking Tales, you know this, that as sympathetic as he is, you know, very few of us can live the kind of life he lives. And it, it's not really a future for a nation to be, be like, uh, you know, Pathfinder or Hawkeye, you know, he thrives in war, for instance, he, his most important events in his life are are events of violence and and murder and scalping. This, this really is of a a throwback. And so I I really like what Alan Taylor says here about this. And I, I really appreciate taking his analysis into consideration as I read The Pioneers for Myself. That said, though, I'll, I'll probably sympathize plenty with Natty in the final chapters of The Pioneers. So let's let's kind of jump right into it, um, and I'll, I'll try to be as quick as possible, but there's 10 more chapters. Uh, so we're going to pick up with chapter 32. In this chapter, with the arrest warrant in hand, the officials of Town arrive to arrest Natty. Natty, meanwhile, has burned down his house, refusing to have it entered against his will. This is... In a sense, this is resistance to the law, right? He says, I may have to suffer the consequences of my act, go to court, or even go to jail, but I refuse to allow you to enter my home to serve this, this search warrant. In fact, earlier in the previous chapter, I think it was, he actually gave his, he gave the deer pelt of the deer he hunted to one of the officers of the court, basically admitting he did the poaching, but he doesn't want to have his home entered. He doesn't want, that's that's too much for him. He doesn't want to accept that part of the law. He does surrender himself peacefully. Um, Now the question we can ask here is does Natty's resistance really have a purpose. I mean, what's the point of destroying your home just so someone doesn't enter it. You know, that seems almost irrational hostility to the law. You know, we we meet people like this who have such a disdain for for the institutions of government that that their response to that is, is nearly irrational and you know in the age of trump it's it's easy to think of of many examples where our one person's hatred for the system or dislike of of institutions lead to uh irrational uh, results we get a nice summary of the crimes here so if you're a skimmer like i unfortunately tend to be sometimes this is a a nice reminder of everything that natty has has done previously quote he has assaulted a magistrate and resisted the execution of a search warrant by threatening the life of a constable with his rifle. In short, my friends, he has set an example of rebellion to the law and has become a kind of outlaw. He is suspected of other misdemeanors and offenses against private rights, and I have this night taken on myself by the virtue of my office of sheriff to arrest the said Bumpo and bring him into the county jail so that he may present a fo- and forthcoming to answer to the heavy charges before the court tomorrow morning. In executing this duty, friends and fellow citizens, you have are to use courage and dis- Discretion, end quote. So this is actually the, the, the speech to the, the deputies, right? You know, and this is still the early days of, of law. So you have a sheriff, but he doesn't really have a police force. So he has to deputize people when he wants to enforce his laws. Um, so, but I think the big question we can ask in this chapter is, does Natty's resistance to this law really have a purpose? I mean, burning down your home does seem a bit extreme, as much as we might sympathize with the character. So, chapter thirty-three, Leatherstocking is brought to court on these two charges. One is the assault on Hiram Doolittle, and the other is the resisting of the execution of the search warrant by threatening the officers of the court with a rifle. The evidence presented on the first case. So, chapter thirty-three is basically the court uh, scene, the courtroom scene, and it's it's fun to read. The evidence presented in the first case shows that Doolittle did not properly announce his purpose before being assaulted. So, you can. You could argue that Natty was just simply defending his his right to his home Although I think Natty's own rights to the land he dwells on is a bit dubious Um, But I'm not you know I'm not sure it doesn't sound like he bought the land He's just kind of living there you know and temple doesn't You know he's a squatter essentially But he does still he's defending his home so and so that assault, is a, he's, he's basically acquitted of the assault and that charge is dropped uh, based on the evidence. Natty has a right to defend his home. The second crime, though, is more complex because at that point he had been told of the search warrant. Now Natty, Natty tries to defend himself saying, well, I wouldn't harm anyone. So he tries to say, you got to understand my intention. And that, that's not how the law can really look at it. The law has to... Look at what was done, not what the intention was. But this is what he says. He says, I crave no man's blood. Them thieves, the Iroquois, won't say it to my face if I ever thirsted after man's blood. I have fought as a soldier and feared his maker and his officers, but I had never pulled the trigger on any but a warrior that was up and awake. No man can say that I ever struck even a mingo in his blanket. I believe there's some who think there's no God in the wilderness. And the judge is really annoyed by this. He, you know, despite their friendship, he's annoyed at this. Talk th- this defense because he's not defending himself on the grounds. I mean, the reality is he did point a rifle at it. What his intention is is not something the law can really consider here. The prosecution is convincing, however, and Natty is. The evidence is presented. The jury convicts Natty of the second offense. The penalty it's not overly harsh. It's it's a hundred dollar fine. It's a month in jail, and it's one hour in the stocks. The stocks are, are kind of an old-fashioned form of public punishment, where basically you were publicly ridiculed for an hour, uh, put you know in the stocks publicly in the in this in the village, in the town square. That's just for one hour, but then a month in jail and a hundred dollar fines. Natty claims his punishment is too heavy, heavy heavy for him, and he gives this long rambling plea that. You know, basically, the sentence should be lighter because he can't afford it. How can he pay? He has no money, right? So, by being outside of the law, being outside of society as he is, he's unable to really, you know, even pay his pay his fine. The only really way he can pay his fine is either through bounties for panthers and other you know, wolves, things like that, or the other thing proffered up as well. He could maybe make it by harvesting beaver. Now that's really interesting because Natty's been living sustainably his life. He li- he wears these deer furs from the deers he kills. He does, you know, he doesn't get involved in the commercialized frontier and the harvesting of trees for maple sugar, the misuse, all the other examples we get in this book of misusing the environment. One of which would be hunting beavers for selling to the market. It's not something he does. Yet he'd be forced to do that to pay his fine. If you got the Library of America version of this book, Natty's plea covers pages 376 to 377, even into 378. So it's quite long and detailed, but it's a nice thing to to examine for yourself. Even Ben Pump, who's kind of like the major domo for Temple, he kind of manages his household affairs, stands up and, and basically says, I will pay the fine for Natty. And we get a nice example of of ben Pump's kind of um, kind of solidarity with with Natty and there's several examples at, at the end of the at the end of the novel Ben Pump is ruled out of order now we get an interesting contrast here because Elizabeth kind of pleads behind the scenes and works behind the scenes to help Natty she offers to like pay his fines when he was first accused of poaching she wanted to like basically pay his fine and she pleads privately with Temple. But Ben Pump makes a public uh, confrontation with the law and in doing so kind of presents that like kind of a deeper and more profound level of solidarity with, with the defendant here. More than Elizabeth will still do things for him even after this, but it's always undercover, right? She, there's a limit to how far she'll go, but Ben Pump seems to go all the way. But words are meaningless at this point. The mechanism of the law will move forward as, as it will. Uh, in the next chapter, Natty is placed in the public stocks for this kind of public phase of his punishment, this public humiliation. Ben Pump decides he's going to serve this ridicule with uh, Natty in, a, in another kind of shocking act of solidarity. I'm Doolittle, who was originally the justice of the peace who accused Natty of, of poaching and has kind of a personal dislike for him, mocks it mocks them but somehow ben pump is able to strike Doolittle despite being in the stocks and this assault leads to ben pump being also thrown in jail with natty so he, he again this is the third time in just a couple chapters where ben pump does something that i guess could be we could talk about as, as a form of solidarity with with natty and we get some textual evidence of this as well he says I'm none of your Fareweller chaps, Master Bumpo, as sails only on smooth water. When I find a friend, I stick by him, do you see? Now there's no better man a-goin' than Squire Dickens, and I love him about the same as I loves Mistress Hollister's new keg of Jamalki. I say, Master Leatherstocking, tis fresher and livelier than any hollards you'll get to see in Garnsey, but we'll spend a hand over and ask the woman for a taste, for I'm so jammed here in the bilboes that I begin to want something to lighten my upper works. So that's basically he's saying here that I'm not a fair weather friend. And then he kind of says, we're going to get some, we're going to get drunk after this is all done. And a few pages later, when it comes time to him, go to him being to going to the same jail, uh, he says, as for being berthed with Master Bumpo for a night or so, it's but little to think of. Squire Dickens, seeing that I calls him an honest man and one who is handy way with his boat hooks and rifles. But as for owning that a man deserves anything worse than a double allowance for knocking that carpenter's face to one side, as you call it, I'll maintain it's against reason and Christianity. If there's a bloodsucker in this here country, it's that very chap. So th- those are examples of, of Ben's solidarity with, with Natty. So in chapter 35, they're, they're now in jail um, I guess pump for just a night or two but Natty has to be there for like a, a month Temple has decided to pay Natty's fine and he gives Elizabeth $200 and so that's more than his fine so it's I guess it's extra money for his pain and suffering I suppose you see Temple's feeling a bit bad and this is how Temple's kind of two-timing it on the one hand he wants the, the public face of the law but behind the scenes he's doing things to help to help Natty to circumvent the law right not having to pay his fine Elizabeth and I think Louisa who is the minister's daughter go to pay the fine or give the money to to Natty at the jail Natty refuses the money what he wants to do instead is be given the gunpowder in order to kill beavers so he can eventually pay off the fine on his own so the law has forced Natty to pursue a career of destruction and violence against nature and ecology is even brought up again in this chapter to reinforce this point. Nettie says, I shall have a hard time after them beavers for this fine. I must go low towards the Pennsylvania line in search of the creatures, maybe a hundred miles for there are not to be got here away. No, no, your betterments and clearings have done the knowing things out of the country. And instead of beaver dams, which is the nature of the animal and according to providence, you turn back the waters over the low grounds with your mill dams as if as if in man to stay the drops from going where he wills them to go. Benny, unless you stop your hand from going so often to your mouth, you won't be ready to start when the time comes, end quote. So he basically says, you have pushed the beaver from this land, replace beaver dams with man-made dams. Now that final line with bump, Pump bringing his hand too much to his mouth is about is drinking. He's been getting drunk while he's in jail, and Natty's already planning his escape, so he needs um, Pump sober, which he's not going to be. So that's kind of what happens. Natty and Ben, who's gotten a bit drunk, work to escape from the jail. Elizabeth and Louisa leave so as not to be witness to an additional crime. But first she urges Natty to take the money. Natty is unable, is able to eventually escape into the woods, but Ben is too drunk and is left in a cart. Chapter 36. We're now reaching the climax of the story. Uh, Elizabeth and Louisa go to the general store to buy the gunpowder for Natty. Lu- you know, I guess they're going to use that $200. $200. To help pay for that, it shouldn't be that much. It should just be a few bucks for the gunpowder. Um, but So instead of taking the 200 he just wants the gunpowder. Louisa does not want to go with her into the woods because she's a, still afraid of panthers. Not long ago, they were attacked by these panthers. But Elizabeth does decide to go on alone. She arrives at the prepared meeting place, but instead of nanny, she sees Indian John Chingachgook, and he speaks eloquently here of his upcoming death and we're given this monologue on life and death and and the death of the American Indians and it's really a beautiful moment it's 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 Chingachgook's kind of last stand and he's speaking for the entire Indians of New York who have been defeated pushed to reservations or striven to extinction through genocidal acts obviously the second book in the series written at least also the second book chronologically in the series is the last of the Mohicans And that's kind of who Chingachuk is. I mean, I guess you could say Uncas is, you know, based on your point of view, either Uncas or Chingachuk is the the last of the Mohicans. He gives a very unchristian speech. And I think even Temple brings up at one point, you know, about how he's being a bit blasphemous at the end of his life. But at one point, Mohican says, Fathers, sons, all gone, all gone. I have no son but the young eagle and he has the blood of a white man. So it's a, it's a really it's on page in the Library of America version is page 408 to 410 is this this sort of final speech of of Chingachgook so it's important to pay attention to but in this he is speaking for the death of, of the American Indian so or certainly something that didn't happen I mean that that's one way we can criticize Cooper uh, maybe from his point of view it seemed an inevitable result that Native Americans would be wiped out of the land but of course Native Americans are are certainly thriving uh, despite being driven from much of their land. So they're still part of American life and and increasingly interesting population wise uh, the Native American, Native American population is growing and um, you know they weren't wiped out certainly despite the the best efforts of genocidal uh, white Americans. Now, a fire has begun, um, and both Elizabeth and Chingachku are about to be embraced by flames. And this, the danger of this scene is heightened by the fact that Elizabeth has this gunpowder. Edwards sweeps in to save the day, and that's how the chapter 36 ends. In chapter 37, Chingachku appears determined to die, and he takes the canister of gunpowder from Elizabeth, holding it, and he's going to face the flames uh, and face his death. He, so he wants to have this very Indian type of uh, of death a death by fire which of course is one of the torture means that we are witness to in in the novels like last of the mohicans and especially the deer slayer eventually oliver and elizabeth are, are similar they escape but they're similarly trapped by the flames eventually but natty comes in to save the day heroically heroically jumping through the fire and he's not only able to save oliver and elizabeth but eventually to bring natty or bring indian john to his own to safety but he's Wounded by the explosion of the canister of gunpowder. So, Natty had actually heard the gunpowder go off and he thought Elizabeth had died because he assumed she was bringing the gunpowder. He finds out that it's actually Chingachgook, but he's not dead, so he's just dying. And they, he grabs Chingachgook and pulls him out. Um, so Indian John is, is alive but dying And he spends his last moments with Natty, Oliver And actually Mr. Grant who comes And Mr. Grant's really there to For this deathbed scene Where Grant says, you know, in your final days Do you fully embrace Christianity and to give up your kind of the remnants of his Indian point of view. And this has been an ongoing discussion about chingachku because just how Christianized he was. Was it just a nominal Christianity or is he deep down a Christian in his heart? And that's really this, the center stage of Chingachku's final moments is his refusal to fully accept Christianity and to embrace his Indian nature. He's going to die as an Indian. And the names of the that the characters give to each other at the end, because it's, it's, it's uh, Natty and and Mohegan, John Mohegan, but they talk to each other as Chingachgook and Hawkeye. Quote, Hawkeye, my fathers tell me to the, my fathers call me to the happy hunting grounds. Okay, here's what he says. Quote, Hawkeye, my fathers are calling my fathers call me to the happy hunting grounds. My path is clear and the eye of Mohegan grow young. I look, but I see no white skins. There are none to see, but just and brave Indians. Farewell, Hawkeye. You shall go with the fire eater and the young eagle to the white man's heaven. But I go after my fathers. Let me let the bow, tomahawk and pipe and wampum of Mohegan be laid at his grave. For when he starts twill be in the night, like a warrior on the war party and he cannot stop to seek them. So. Uh, really epic death scene for Chingachgook. It, it's, it's sort of thrown in Like this fire didn't really have to be there For the plot of the novel to work The plot could have been resolved elsewhere But Cooper wanted to give Chingachgook this this death And as it's the first novel of the story If you read this first chronologically As they were published It's not as meaningful as if you read this fourth As I have and you've, you've seen this character Develop throughout his whole life um, chapter 39 with with the climax of the novel passing the death of Chingachgook we return as always as this novel always settles back to the theme of law again and again the, we go somewhere there's action there's adventure there's an ecological debate but it always centers on law that that's the thematic center of this this tale so rumors have spread throughout town that Natty and Oliver are are illegally mining and therefore The implication is that they're counterfeiting as well. And there's rumors about counterfeit currency and that they're blamed for it. And the reason for this, this has been hinted at throughout the, the novel. So basically now with the rumors growing, it's impossible to avoid a confrontation over this. And especially now that Natty has escaped from jail, they have to come. So a posse is formed by the sheriff to bring Natty back under the arms of the law. And where they go... So Natty kind of retreats with Oliver to the cave where they have been hiding out. Why the cave? Well, from the perspective of the town, it's obviously because that's where they've been doing their illegal mining operations. Squatting and illegally mining. So that's where the posse goes. And there's a brief siege. No one's killed. There's only a kind of a humorous resolution to the conflict between Natty and Hiram Doolittle because um, in a bit of comedic timing, Hawkeye shoots Uh, Hear him do little in the butt But no one's died So there's really kind of no harm no foul At this point it's just for a laugh Temple demands that the fighting stop And it does Oliver Edward surrenders And says that he will surrender the cave And all of its possessions So when then we get to chapter 40 Where a lot of questions are answered What we learn is that Major Effingham The fire eater Who's been, been mentioned from time to time In the story uh, it through characters. In fact, Chingachgook mentioned you will go with Fire Eater to to kind of Christian heaven. So if you if you're paying attention, you, you get the sense that Major Effingham is hanging around, but he's the original owner of this land patent, the the land area, and in fact, Temple sort of inherited it through his father, who was Effingham's business partner, and. Barmaduke Temple thought that he had been lost at sea when he got this note that there's a shipwreck. And so he was actually preparing a will to, you know, deal with this, you know, deal with the final legal matters of who owns this land. Now, Oliver Edwards is revealed to be actually the grandson of Major Effingham. And his real name is Edward Oliver Effingham. But he's been kind of living with Natty Bumpo because Natty's been taking care of Major Effingham, who Natty served with. Back I think during like the French and Indian War or something it's, it's not a scene we ever get in the Leatherstocking Tales or We don't get the details of that But you know they were, he was basically serving him And now one reason Natty Bumpo has been hanging around Not leaving with the advancing of this pioneer society Is because he's had a debt to pay to major Effingham, I mean he's been caring for them As the old man has become increasingly incapable of taking care of himself He's become senile And so that's that kind of wraps up a lot of what's been going on So we then retire to the mansion after everyone's identity has been released and Judge Temple shows Oliver his will, which actually gives half the land to the heirs of of Major Effingham. So this, so Temple's kind of doing good by his inheritance. He's not trying to steal the land. He actually wanted to, in good faith, hand over the land to... um, to these, to these heirs. Now, it's revealed to be Oliver Edwards. So basically, Oliver Edwards becomes a rich man at this moment. This allows peace to be reached between Oliver and Judge Temple. Um, there's a few other details here. For instance, um, Lacroix, the general store owner, the one who left his sugar plantation in the Caribbean due to the French Revolution and the slave revolts there, is gonna go back to Paris. So the, the frontier just becomes a little bit more American. At this point, we lose two kind of f- three frontiersmen. We're going to lose Natty, but we have lost Chingachgook and we've lost Oliver Edwards, who's kind of been living on the frontier as a as a hunter. We lose them and we lose, we lose the Frenchmen. So if you want to symbolically, maybe the frontier is becoming just a little bit too white American at this point. A little too Anglo, I want to say. So then uh, the final chapter of the book, chapter 41. So Edwards and Elizabeth marry. And I guess this kind of joins together the land holdings into one family. Uh, Major Effingham dies. Uh, Natty and Ben Pump serve the rest of their sentences, um, but the governor pardons them. Currency is interestingly discussed in the in the final pages of the novel. So again showing kind of the advancing of of law and regularity and and kind of modernity coming to this. This once frontier area. Quote, this then is some of the new fashion money that they're making in Albany out of paper. It can't be worth much. End quote, which is a nice little addition there. But the real part of the final chapter is is Natty's departure. Natty has been preparing himself to leave now that his business is finished and he wants to go basically to the West. Where else can he go? And here's his final words to Elizabeth. Quote, Such thoughts and bitter dreams, Madame Effingham, return, uh, will never haunt an innocent person long. They'll pass away with God's pleasure. And if the cat's amounts be yet brought to your to your eyes in sleep, tis not for my sake, but to show you the power of Him that led me there to save you. Trust in God, Madame, and your honourable husband. And the thoughts for this old man like me can never long be, can never be long nor bitter pray that the Lord will keep you in mind, the Lord that lives in clearings as well as in the wilderness and bless you and all that belong with you in this time to the great days when the whites shall meet the redskins in judgment and justice shall be the law and not power. End quote. So the final thing Natty says in the pioneers is a plea for justice over law or justice over power, that justice be law and not power. And the whole story of the novel though is the triumph of law as power so natty emerges as, as kind of as a loser in the final pages of the novel and he has to go west because he doesn't have a place really in the society anymore so we're not done with natty Bumpo. you know we have one more novel to explore what he does out west in the, the pioneers but it's it's a very sad it's very sad in a way to see natty in the state as he is in the pioneers or not in the pioneers in the prairie but we'll come to those details in the final novel of this series of leather stocking tales the prairie um, but let me just review a few of the themes of of the novel especially in the final part of the novel uh, we, one would be I guess the Indian death scene uh, we we've had that in the other leather stocking tales to a degree but never this dramatically in this Kind of pumped up uh, in fact Cooper creates a whole fire and uh, an escape and a, he places a canister of gunpowder in the hands of this Indian as he dies and we have the whole debate you know him returning to his Indian nature in his final moments rather than embracing Christianity and going to happy hunting grounds um, it's, it's quite an epic scene it's a bit contrived obviously it didn't have to be there in the novel uh, you know but Chingachgook wanted to die like an Indian so he needed this fire. Uh, the other theme here certainly is pioneer law and the thinness of law and the need to have institutions and this is temples conflict is you know do I do I come down hard on Natty you know in the end of the day he does he has to let the legal mechanisms move forward because that's the only way this this society can be regulated and he's the he's one of the victims of, of the emerging of law but that's not necessarily a bad thing and you know, and I guess there, there, you can debate Alan Taylor. If you know, Alan Taylor seems to think that Cooper's view is the overall necessity of the progress of law. But our, the character we sympathize with claims the only real law should be justice. And I guess we'll have to—you'll have to find where you fit in that that dilemma. One thing that's that's here is heritage and heredity, heredity, especially with the Effingham family and Oliver Edwards inheriting land inheriting status from his father Um, now he's an interesting character because he's he's sort of the guy between Natty and Temple Uh, by the end of the novel he's very much like Temple in that he's a rich landowner who's benefited from genocide and theft and all the things all you know the whole legacy of the American frontier but he's also kind of lived with Natty so he he is able to have one foot in both sides of this question and he's has all these different heredit you know heritages he's got the heritage from effingham but he also is like a something i didn't mention is he's taken on this symbolic honorary membership in the delaware tribe and this is one reason there's rumors that he's a half breed because he actually does say he's half delaware but it's because it's just, it's not biological um working class solidarity is another theme we get in this chapter especially with the character of ben pump who although a bit of a comedic character and a drunk and not overly useful to natty does stick up for him from time to time and then finally we got now i wouldn't say natty is working class though but ben pump is and and so his identity is working class Natty's really outside of class in a way but pump's actions show the solidarity And then finally, patronage. Patronage is a major theme throughout here, throughout this novel, um, really to the final pages. And that's a big part of of this early pioneer society. And partially what gets replaced with the arrival of law is is patronage, too. Um, Things become less personal and more institutional. So my overall thoughts here about this novel, I I don't want to say too much more about it. I've been talking about the pioneers for over if you add up all these episodes probably over almost three hours now but it's a great novel it's really one of my favorite if not my f- favorite of of the Leatherstocking tales I, I may attempt after i get through the prairie and get my thoughts on the prairie to to rank these or to get my overall view of the whole whole um series of novels but i think this is maybe the one this is the one that's the most relevant to us because it deals with issues of law and progress and how we measure progress it has a lot about ecology. It's it's the most ecologically aware of the Leather Stocking Tales. They all have ecology in the backdrop, but this is the most ecologically aware and conscious of the novels. And in that sense, you know, how do we measure progress when progress means destroying the natural world? That's really an important theme. And in that sense, this is the one we should all read and all come back to. So that does it for The Pioneers. I'll be back shortly with a four-part series on the prairie where we'll finally get to say goodbye to natty bumpo and put an end to the series on the leather stocking tales. as always thank you so much for listening you can contact me uh, right here on this website or leave a review on itunes or you can write me at 100 pages at gmail.com and if you do that I'll, I'll probably respond to your comments and your thoughts on air so again thanks for listening and i'll be back with the prairie Here's good luck to the daughter, good luck to the barley mow. Jolly good luck to the daughter, good luck to the barley mow. Oh, the daughter barrel, half barrel, gallon, half gallon, pint pot, half a pint jill, half a jill, quarter jill, never get another round bowl. Here's good luck, good luck, good luck to the barley mow. Here's good luck to the landlord, good luck to the barley mow. Jolly good luck to the landlord, good luck to the barley mow. Oh, the landlord daughter barrel, half barrel.